Hello and welcome to another episode on The Barricades. This is your most exciting weekly political show where Eastern European leftists comment on the most important political events in our region and around the world and where we confront or destroy Western media narratives if necessary. This episode kicks off our third season and we'd like to offer you a commentary on a larger problem both ideological and uh, strategic in nature. Let's talk about feminism and its place in the ideology of the left. Throughout the last few decades, there have been numerous misunderstandings, I would say, about feminism on the left, on the right, and in society at large. As a result, we'd like to give you uh, something like a general leftist overview, recap of feminism and women's and working class uh, liberation uh ideas and we'd like to start by comparing and contrasting liberal and radical feminism we'll talk about feminism in eastern europe in the second half of our show and our expert on the question of feminism is going to be my usual co-host maria chernat hello hello thank you for having me boyan right so feminism is such a broad topic and uh you know the debate around on the left in particular, uh, surrounding feminism and other elements of this corpus of ideas that is generally referred to as identity politics has probably been one of the most toxic experiences, at least that I've had, uh, you know, on the left as, as an activist, as, as a journalist, as a commentator in, in all of the roles that I've had uh, on the left. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that the first question should be, where do we start? Like where, where, where? Well, I prepared um, short introduction to feminism just to understand that basically liberal and uh, radical feminism coexisted for the most part of the history. But first things first. Now, in feminist theories, common sense knowledge that there were three waves basically of feminism. The first wave is related to the suffragette movement. We know little about this. We know little about the moment we, women who fought long and hard for us to get the right to vote. And this is a very important political battle that was fought uh, at the beginning of the century. The, when the 19th century ended and the 20th century began. It was a battle that was won uh, with human sacrifice, if we are to think of Emily Davidson that had to throw herself before the horse of the king here. They were competing in a horse race and she did this desperate act to draw the attention, to draw the attention of the media towards the suffragette movements and their battle to win the right to vote. She was uh, on strike many times, on hunger strike, and she was arrested and she was forced fed like 49 times. She was one of the forgotten heroes of the feminist battles that were uh, fought for the right to vote. Uh, she was portrayed in the movie Suffragette, that is a very, I would say, um, interesting in a way, but this Hollywood film that, uh, you know, portrays uh, the, the fight, the long um, and hard battle of feminism for the right to vote. Now, many of the people would say, well, you got your right to property, you got the right to vote, you got the right to work. Uh, 
why was it the need for feminism? Why is it that the feminist didn't end uh, once you get all those things? Well, we have to go back to a socialist feminist and thinker that is Sofia Nadezhde. You remember that I spoke to you about Sofia Nadezhde and I intend to honor her memory on every 8th of March because she was one Romanian feminist that is uh, quite forgotten and ignored, unfortunately, in Romania and internationally. And her ideas were very powerful and still are. She said that she didn't want the right to vote for a few privileged women, that she wanted to make feminism um, um, movement for poor and oppressed women. That is a mass movement. She wanted that and she wrote that uh, when she started, she made, she made her debut in uh, 1878, I think. So she wrote uh, those things even there. So you see that there was this battle, even from the start when the women started to fight for their rights uh, on a more systematic, uh, in a more systematic manner between those who advocated for individual freedom and rights and those who wanted the, the change, a radical change for the economic and material conditions for all women. And there was this tension between individual liberation, individual emancipation through political rights versus collective liberation versus uh, the fight for all women as an oppressed class. And right from the beginning, there were tensions because uh, unfortunately, patriarchy is something that is very hard to fight with since it is so uh, pervasive and even in leftist circles. I mean, uh, Alexandra Kolontai, to give an example, was the first woman to be appointed a ministry, uh, minister for women causes in uh, the first government in, uh, after the Bolshevik Revolution. Maybe you didn't know that, but she was a very progressive thinker. She discussed socializing childcare and socializing the, the bringing of children so that women can be free. She said that women cannot be free uh, while they have to take care of the children, while they have to stay at home all the time. So uh, basically the road to liberation for women was not just the right to vote, but the right to free daycare, childcare, schools and um, restaurants, cantinas for women where they could buy food and also uh, services for cleaning around the house. Now, that was truly revolutionary, but as you may know, unfortunately, Stalin undid much of the reforms that Alexandra Kolontai suggested and uh, enshrined into law once she came into power. Because unfortunately, um, for women as an oppressed class, it's very hard, you know, to, to fight also with their comrades on the left. And that was the case in the 19th century, at the beginning of the 20th century, and it moved throughout the movements also on the left. I'm not talking here uh, about conservatives, but also leftists proved to be extremely retrograde and extremely violent towards women.
Now, there are also men, the last thing that I want to say on this topic before explaining the second wave and the third uh, wave, there are also, there are also men that thought feminism in itself, since it addressed, you know, the question of individual liberation through civil rights and political rights was a bourgeois ideology that has no, had no place in leftist circles. And that was also a very problematic thing. And also some sort of, um, you know, obstacle, very hard to overcome by women. Now, in the second wave, the second well, wave. Before was... you go to the second and third wave, can I can I just ask a few questions? Perhaps you want to address them later, but I just because they please, are about please. what you just said, and and uh, and I think it makes sense to perhaps uh, you know come up with them right now. Mm, well, the first thing that struck that struck me when you because I'm no expert on feminism, okay? Like, despite the fact that I've been accused of being a radical feminist and trans exclusionary on, on uh -huh. top of everything, uh, I have never been a radical. I'm not sure that I even know what it means to be a radical feminist, honestly speaking. Uh, but of course, I sympathize with the general idea of feminism and and the liberation of women, as every leftist should, I think. But uh, you know. I, I what struck me immediately was this uh, person that you explained at the beginning. I'm sorry, I cannot for, uh, uh, repeat her name. Uh, Emily something. Emily the one that Right, right. So uh, you know, the, it's it's something mm, something remarkable, really, right? Like someone almost committing a suicide, basically, uh, in in order to uh, promote an idea, right? And yes. this speaks to the question of sacrifice. And I think it's an important question for the left. And I think it's probably very important from the point of view of feminism, because women have to sacrifice all the time. I mean, this is one of the elements of patriarchy, right? And, and uh, they were, uh, and today, like the question, the notion of sacrificing something for ideas is almost absent. And I wonder whether it's also absent in feminism or whether in feminism it somehow was preserved uh, in a sense that there is more uh, a pressure to sacrifice rather than to, uh, you know, play the victim, which is so beneficial today. <laughs> so that's my first question. Uh, and second question would be regarding, because you said that from the beginning, we had this tension between individual emancipation and mass mass liberation. class liberation. Right, I get this. But I, I would also guess uh, that perhaps there were movements or elements within those movements that would combine the two because I don't quite see why does it necessarily have to be contradictory. I mean, while, of, of course, as a person who uh, claims they understand social sciences, I kind of know that uh, individual happiness, individual liberation goes through collective emancipation, collective uh, you know, happiness, collective liberation, and so on and so forth. But uh, I was wondering if there are people who think that you can, you can be, you can have, two things you know moving together mm -hmm. like not necessarily the one excluding well, the unfortunately, other unfortunately unfortunately um i think the two are very hard to reconcile and albena asmena um uh, asmanova article that is very good and is empowerment as surrender explains exactly why that is i mean the second wave of feminism, maybe I could share my screen and show you what I mean uh, when I discuss the second wave feminism and the way uh, it promoted such 
degrading uh, images of uh, women. Let me see if I can share my screen right now. Don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing. Uh, that these are ads from the 50s. I don't think it works, isn't it? Well, for now we can see uh, ourselves multiply. Oh, I will show. I will stop uh, um, sharing because obviously it doesn't work. So, when you look at the ads from the 50s, maybe we can edit later on or give links to it in our YouTube channel and Facebook channel as references. They were extremely sexist, and now the problem is that while in Eastern Europe. The women were entering the labor force and they were paid exactly the same salaries as the men and exactly the same wages that that in the western part of the world even though they think of themselves as more progressive than we are we were uh that was a battle to be fought i mean women were making less than 60 percent of what the men made during the 60s so women had to go out and fight for their right to work for their right to get jobs for their right to be equally paid now you would say, well, see, you have here a perfect harmony between individual um, empowerment and uh, class liberation. Well, yes and no. And Albena Asmanova explained this, explains this perfectly when she says that basically during the second wave, what women were asking for was the right to be equally exploited as men were. They fought for the right to enter a labor force where men were exploited and they fought relational oppression. Relational oppression means that group A oppresses group B. And in this case, you had men oppressing women. But this is only on the plane of relational oppression. When you had a, a broader system that was labor versus capital, you have a different set of oppression. And unfortunately, women were not um, were not able to fight that uh, much harder to be fought battle with the systemic oppression. They wanted to get out of the house. They wanted control over their bodies. They wanted free access to abortions. They wanted information on contraception and other important things. And uh, uh, basically they fought, when you think about it, they fought to enter a labor market where they were equally exploited. And why is this a problem? Because while on a relational level, they won the battle they lost the war because they what they did back in the 70s in the 80s when they massively entered the labor force was to create an even larger you know uh, army of uh, unemployed people was putting pressure on labor because you had the uh, uh, all these new workers coming out of their homes and you can basically lower the wages and you had precarity going through the roof because women uh, wanted uh, part-time jobs and uh, you know the, these contracts that were not um, on long term and they accepted those conditions and another thing was that 
while they were entering the labor force, it was this kind of feminism that was encouraged. They were not able to challenge the system, the whole system of oppression and the system of oppression that puts uh, at odds labor and capital. So even though they won that, and you had individual uh, emancipation and empowerment, you have to bear in mind that this was the kind of feminism that the elites wanted. The corporate elites wanted this kind of feminism that would provide corporations with uh, more laborers and with more docile because women were socialized and are generally socialized to be more docile and submissive. So they, they absolutely loved this idea of women fighting men. And also Albena Azmanova explains um, why you had in this type of conflict of women trying to liberate themselves from men actually, a set of victims fighting another set of victims because it was the broader capitalist system that um, put people into these positions and uh, antagonized them. And unfortunately, this time of uh, antagony and conflict made it very difficult to challenge the system as a whole. So basically what you have now is, of course, individual empowerment. You have uh, books asking women to lean in and to, you know, be the manager of the day and uh, be the... I don't know, CEO of the biggest company and all this emphasis on individual success. Well, this success is actually a failure to challenge the, the broader system. And this is why, and this is the root of the problem. And this is what, uh, what happens in the 60s and the 70s uh, was that um, what women fought for, even though it was so legitimate and even though it was so... Um, Women wanted that. It was electrifying to them to go out and protest the horrible conditions. What they fought was the feudal system at home, but not the capitalist system in the labor force, you know. So yeah, they fought and won the battle at home, but they lost the public bat battle for a uh, more just and equal society uh for everybody. I understand that, but then you know the question arises whether uh, I'm I'm against the capitalist system, and I've spent the last you know over twenty years uh, doing my best to find the capitalist system, and and uh, I'm just not sure whether uh, by concluding what you just concluded uh, is isn't it like you're you're putting a lot of pressure on the feminist movement. I mean, it sounds like Thanks for the feminist, this question. Thanks the feminist for this movement question. is, is, is the feminist movement there to really fight capitalism? I mean, I, I, yes, I'd love, course. I'd love to see the feminist movement joining, uh, forces with, you know, the socialists, the communists, the whatever, uh, yes. they want to call themselves leftist people in, in their combat against capitalism. But, you know, to a, to a person, uh, to a, I, I hate to use this cliche, but I will. Uh, the average, for the average person, feminism is just uh, about 
equal equalizing chances for men, for women, for making well, this is uh, the, the problem. Let me let me explain because you've put forward a lot of ideas. First of all, about the pressure. Yes, I watched a wonderful documentary and I want to play some sequences. Uh, it's a wonderful documentary that was realized in 2014 by a very. Uh, uh, it was realized by Mary Dor. Uh, it's called She's Beautiful When She's Angry. And there you have uh, things discussed. And when you see what it was like for women back then, you start to realize how difficult it was and it had to be done. First of all, you had to fight the relational oppression and as Albenaz Manova called it, you had to fight it. There was no other way. I mean, they were entrapped in such a horrible system that it was basically impossible to, to go another way about it. But women, you know, got out of the house and I think they have to go get out of the capitalist system and take the men with them. This is my idea. So it is for us to lead this battle and uh, to be truly progressive and to be the progressive element in a future, you know, uh, anti-capitalist uh, movement. Uh, this is the next step, I would say, for the feminist uh, movement if they want to inspire people. And now coming back to the idea of playing the victim or uh women have been accused of weaponizing their identities and they often did um um get in a situation where they were accused that they are weaponizing their identities that they are not really suffering that they are not really you know uh, this has been going on for centuries i mean women were never believed but now um in the third wave of feminism you have actually a system that incentivizes women to weaponize their oppression to gain grants to gain access to funds to do things and this is very problematic because women or men are not uh, good or bad by themselves but you when you have a system they basically co-opted and monopolized feminism and incentivized this um uh, use of your identity to get money, then you have a big problem. And of course, you have this systematic way of using oppression to get grants and to get funds while you're an activist. Is um, uh, Activism became a profession, the profession of uh, gaining money from several applications. And I find this deeply problematic. And this is only one problem of the third uh, wave feminism that started back in 1980s and it was a kind of feminism that became mainstream but unfortunately while it became mainstream it was co-opted by neoliberalism and it was transformed for, from a movement that was truly revolutionary and was galvanizing such energy if you look at this very documentary i talked uh, about uh, this uh, she's beautiful when she's angry you see how enthusiastic women were and 
that there was such a potential for change that J. Edgar Hoover wanted the women's liberation movement infiltrated because they, he saw them as a threat to the national security, basically. And when you see that enthusiasm, you, you realize that there was something going on there. But unfortunately, unfortunately, they fought and they won the battle on, against conservatism, but they never, and unfortunately, they uh, were not able to conquer and to defeat the other enemy that is capitalism and neoliberalism basically monopolized swallow feminism and now feminist values are sprayed on products are sprayed you know on different commodities to make people believe that they are buying somehow feminism feminism became a tool for marketing you know it is so sad and at the same time it became so siloed and it became so focused on individual success on and on uh, it became focused on this idea of making women use the oppression the systematic oppression to win money and this is very problematic indeed yeah i i'm I, it sounds like it really is very problematic you said many things now uh that i'm not quite sure i really understand uh like you said something about uh feminism being monopolized and i'm not sure i kind of understood by who is the monopolizing party uh then uh you know you said something and you seem to be very passionate about it that uh capitalism or neoliberalism or you know, whatever this stage that we're in of capitalism somehow uses and abuses feminism for its own purposes. And of course, I understand your passion and I, I sympathize with it, but uh, what do you expect? I mean, the same, go it, it, it's with everything, with everything in capitalism, like e any system of oppression is going to uh, create, uh, is going to try to use the opposition to create a niche which on the surface it looks like it's it's anti-systemic or it looks like it's um uh, it's somehow uh oppositional really but in fact the those niches niches they only strengthen the system instead instead of weakening it and uh, you know you have that all over the left basically it's not just you know feminism which is uh, as i said in the beginning i personally perceive it as part of our general leftist ideology uh, but i guess not everyone would agree with me i'm just uh i i just wonder whether you could go back whether you could speak about that and go back to the question of the possible unification of those two wings uh, that seem to be developing totally separately, like the one advocating for mass liberation of women as a part of the working class, as part of the working of, of the family of the working people, uh, and uh, and 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 then you know the question of of individual emancipation, because you know to me uh, it sounds like it doesn't really have to be contradictory i just don't quite see why well unfortunately why <laughs> well why like why can't you do both in a sense that you know i remember this uh, sorry i was just going to make like a small uh, mm -hmm. i'll just digress for, for literally 45 seconds i remember for example this uh, debate which i didn't particularly like between jordan peterson and slavo zizek uh n mm -hmm. not because uh, they were weak but because they didn't really put forward any argument any of those arguments that i expected would clash 
But, uh, you know, Slavoj Žižek at one point turned to Jordan Peterson and said, why are you constantly advocating for making your bed and not, you know, and, 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 you know, do that first and only then sometime later when your room is clean, where your bed is made, uh, when everything is shiny at your place, then you can go out, step outside, and maybe you can try and organize someone on the basis of, of your, you know, authority of a great bed maker or whatever. But he asked, he asked, he asked, why can't you just go ahead and do both? I mean, those no, things you are complementary. Basically, this is the trap, Boyan. This is the trap. And this is how neoliberalism defanged feminism. There is a wonderful speech, I think. I uh, referred to it a couple of times during our conversation. Well, Gail Dines just says, look, feminism became some sort of uh, feel-good medicine for each and every one of us. And she gives the example of some feminists saying, oh, but feminism is for each and every one of you, and feminism is what each and every one of you feel. This is the way to kill a movement. This is the way, could you imagine to say that anti-racism is what every each and everyone feels? No, this is not okay. You have to fight for all women to be liberated. And your friend Ellen Woods gives the perfect example of the uh, structural unfreedom of workers. Yes, they are trapped in a room. Each and every one of them can go and unlock the door and get out, but they cannot all get out you know, from that system. And this is exactly it. And this is the trap that you could have uh, empowerment and women in high places and women in uh, uh, positions of management. And then you will have this emancipation. Well, this is not how it works because usually uh, what this system says is that um, the current political economic system is okay. You just have to be included in it. You have to fight for your individual right to be included in the capitalist system. And you're reinforcing and legitimizing the system in this way. You know, you're basically saying that you want to uh, share the equal right to be exploited. And this is not enough. You sure, want half of the that. pie. Well, we don't want half of the pie. We want to throw yeah. the pie in your face because the pie is poisonous, okay? We right. don't want it. We don't own half of it. We don't want to share, you know, equal position of inequality. Basically. Right, but Maria, I, I get this all of that. It's important for the viewers to understand that this is such a trap because it seems so, you know... Um, seductive to say that individual rights individual freedoms well yes these are important but at the same time what is equally important or more important is for us to think of ourselves as an oppressed class as and as uh people that want to get rid of a system that puts us in these positions and to see that our oppression is part of a bigger system of oppression Absolutely. as i told you the important thing is not only to leave the house but to leave the system and drag men with us if we can right right absolutely and i get this i'm just thinking about in terms of political communication rather because ideologically speaking i of course it it is something 
uh, rather understandable that if you emphasize, if you want to run on feminism in general, politically speaking, then if you run just on individual success, then you will just have a handful of individually successful people. And there aren't so many successful people, uh, at least by the neoliberal or capitalist or modern capitalist, whatever you call, want to call them standards, okay? I mean, there's just the 1% and the 99%, okay? So it tells you pretty much everything about who's successful and, and, and who could be successful and what part of society's, uh, you know, uh, you would be able to attract by saying that you represent because political communication and political identity uh, is about representation, right? Like whom do you want to rep represent? So if you want to represent just a handful of successful people, then yeah, of course, it's it's not it's not a good choice if you really want to carry out some kind of major changes. But I'm just wondering in terms of political communication, because, you know, to me, individual liberation sounds uh, more like, and perhaps I'm confusing something, but individual liberation sounds like uh, women should be able to do what they like. Like women should not feel the force, which I understand is purely patriarchal lab, lab clean pat patriarchy is like, you know, when women feel pressed that they have to get married, mm -hmm, that they mm -hmm. have to, exactly. uh, I don't know, give birth mm -hmm. to five children, that they have to look after them. They have to, I don't know, wash their partners uh, or, or husband's socks and, and, you know, they have to clean the house and cook for them and so on and so forth. Right. So for me, this is individual liberation is when, when women uh, and, this shouldn't be really so problematic these days, I think. Yes, like, it to reach out, uh, To reach out and say, like, hey, we are for equal society and we are for, for, for mm -hmm. fair society, for an egalitarian society, where women, if they want to get married, that's cool. If they want to get married, that's also cool. If there's... Uh, if you feel you're a woman and you feel that it's, it's a sacred thing for you to get married, to go to church, and to give birth to children, have a, a large family for whom you're going to cook and for whom you're going to take care of the household. I don't object to that. I don't think it's a great way, perhaps, but you know, this is your; these are your values, your ideas. And then when there's a woman who does never want to get married, wants to make career in business, wants to be promiscuous, and like ne ne never want to settle down, that's fine. That's also like in a sense, uh, I'm trying to say that yes, we yes. could perhaps offer something to everyone, like. Uh, and, yes, and I just don't quite understand. The, yes, well, I want to grasp the thing. Why? Why does it have to be so contradictory that it's to a point of great conflict within the activist uh, movement? Well, let activist me explain. feminist First movement. First of all, I want to go back a little bit to the second wave and to say how difficult it was, in fact, for women to gain this individual freedom that you spoke about. First thing that I want to say here is that, of course, we are putting and expecting too much from women. They were trapped in an incredible oppressive system. And uh, yes, I, I love Albena Asmanova's article on uh, empowerment as surrender, and I think she's perfectly right. But it's very easy for us now to discuss the failures and the pitfalls of the feminist movement in the 60s while there it was incredibly hard to fight for these rights that you are talking about. And I'm gonna, oh, I'm so sorry, I can play a little bit excerpt of a, a, of a uh, documentary where you had Marilyn Wagg that was a prominent personality in the women's liberation movement in the 70s. She wanted to address a crowd of leftists, but they were men. 
And when she wanted to speak to those leftist men, they started shouting and caught catcalling her. And they started shouting like, fuck her up or something like that. It was horrible. Okay. And there was another thing when the um, uh, people of color created their own, you know, uh, movements and uh, wanted to advance their agenda. And that was this uh, Black Sisterhood or movement, or it was an organization called uh, like that, that uh, was based, basically, I wanted to advance the rights of women of color in the United States. What did their, you know, brothers do? They said, oh, but you have to make children for the cause and for the revolution. Who is going to fight for the revolution if you refuse to bear children? Do you imagine that? I mean, even in the most progressive circles. And that was the idea that Ivan Ceausescu had, that we are a revolutionary people and women should have play their part and be revolutionary by giving birth to the uh, next citizens of the country. Not the first thing, you know, because I wanted to emphasize how difficult it was for women to escape this type of oppression that Albena Azmanova calls relational. It had to be fought. I mean, yeah. so, no, it had to be fought because it was horrendous. I, I understand. But, but, can I just but one now one? the second part, okay. well, you say, oh, but it is okay for everybody to choose and to make their choice. Look, you are not choosing in a void. It is equally important to make sure that you have enough options because if you focus boyan only on this idea oh but we should give women the right to choose whether they want to get married or whether they want to have a fulfilled sexual life with multiple partners and so on and so forth yes but it is not enough to give them the right to do so to give them and to enshrine that into laws and regulations and so on and so forth as one prominent liberal, yes, I'm quoting on our leftist podcast, a liberal, Isaiah Berlin said the following, giving civil and political liberties to people that have nothing to eat is to mock those people. Okay, so you have to go for the material conditions if you really want to offer those options for women. Because now crazy situation where women fought long and hard and won on paper the rights and liberties we should all enjoy as women but unfortunately we don't have the material conditions to do so and we will only achieve this and this is very important where do we go from here because it is so uh, clear to me and i hope it is for uh, a lot of feminists that going on this path of individual, you know, empowerment uh, and um, uh, political and civil uh, rights is not enough, is far from being enough, far. We have to offer the, um, the conditions for change. And I will give you an example, because in the European Union and in France in 2001, and it's Albena Azmanova that discusses this example, uh, they voted in a law saying that all political parties at all levels of representation, that should be 50% women. And also in the European Union, there are advances. And in 1997, they signed the Treaty of Maastricht and they wanted more representation for women. 
okay, but they left intact the market. And what that meant is for the poor women in Romania and Bulgaria, they had to leave their families here and to go to work. And it was so exploitative. So you see, if you live intact, the whole forces that create inequality and that hurt women so badly, uh, you are just making a, a fun, a, a sham. You are transforming the whole feminist, uh, feminist uh, uh, objectives and uh, uh, projects into a fake, you know, polished uh, policy that gives uh, leads you nowhere because you left intact the very system that creates inequality and oppression. Okay, well, uh, again, you said many things uh, which are very interesting, and I agree with them. Uh, although I still don't feel that you actually answered my question, why does it have to be so contradictory in a sense that why can't the feminist movement agree on, on some kind of coherent uh, message where uh, the liberation... Uh, could be collective and individual at the same time. And, and uh, I, I don't think I, I quite understand why, why there has to be so, so much of a quarrel over this issue. Well, but I yeah, the okay, but maybe we can take it up. But, but you know what? Perhaps we can take it up in the second part of our show yes, because we're yes, running, yes. we're, we're uh, mm -hmm. like the time is running out. And uh, I, I, you know, I listened to everything that you said about how the leftist uh, activists in history have treated women and and uh, how it is problematic now. I know that from you and from other female comrades uh, from other countries, not necessarily only Eastern Europe, by the way, okay, uh, that there are problems with, you know, mistreating women, uh, okay, in general, in leftist circles and so on and so forth. And of course... You know, I'm the last one to defend all those abuses or, or you know, m m this weird behavior, which is violent sometimes and so on and so forth. Uh, yet I, I do care to say one thing, that there are many people, not no women in general, there are many people who look at the left as some kind of, as, as if it's some kind of safe space. Like they, they feel that they go to a leftist organization and they will never encounter discrimination. They will never encounter, uh, you know, violence, verbal or physical or something like that. And, th you know, that it's a place where you go and, and it's secure. It's certain that you're going to feel great there. And I just want to say for all those who potentially, for all those watching us who, who uh, you know, think that it could be the case, it is not the case. Uh, there is no vacuum. And the leftist organizations, they do not uh, do not create a vacuum and they do not live or function in a vacuum. Uh, and many people uh, carry a lot of prejudice, uh, including the leftist activists. I mean, of course, they have a responsibility, ideological, cultural, civilizational, political, whatever, moral, if you like, to uh, exercise a, you know, a, a type of behavior that is coherent with the ideas that they preach. But uh, again, I'm not defending any of those uh, things that that are abusive or, or discriminatory against women or, I don't know, minorities or whatever. Uh, but I just want to say that it's something that is going to be with us, unfortunately, probably until we do overthrow the capitalist system and until we are able to create a new cultural 
basis, foundation, where uh, there will be space and there will be room and there will be a need for mutual respect between you know, pe- white people, people of color, men and women, uh, you know, elderly people, ch- you know, all kinds of minorities, right? I, I don't want to list them out now because I'm just afraid I'm going to skip someone and then <laughs> I'm going to have a problem. So uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, feminism could be very helpful in eliminating those things from the movement. But instead of eliminating them, I... I, yes, that's I'll my observation. Part. I'll explain be... in the second part. Yeah, exactly. um, unfortunately, the feminist movement got um, hijacked at some point by some very, I would say, toxic elements. And I will discuss uh, the, the, okay. the situation right. in the second part. But at the same time, I want to end uh, also by saying that... Um, it's easy for us academics like me and Albena Asmanova to come and understand what the problems were. But when you look at this documentary and when you speak to these women, you understand that it was so horrible that what they did is actually amazing and magnificent. And of course, of course, we have to learn the lesson, but nevertheless, we should not put the blame of them for not being Marxist enough or not being, you know, uh, more visionary that, than they were. Right. Okay. So we're going to see you in the second part of the show. Thank you for now. Uh, Keep fighting and stay healthy.